0: Hey everyone, we continue our read through the New Testament, and today we are in John 12. We've just seen Jesus' powerful, final, culminating sign in raising Lazarus from the dead. And we've seen the growing tensions escalate, as now the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Israel are actively seeking that he would be found in order to be arrested. With that tension, now we see us preparing, and with this chapter ushering us in to the final week, of Jesus' life prior to his resurrection. Let's read. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him where Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure gnar and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it. For the day of my burial, the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, who also, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him many of the Jews were going away and believing Jesus. So let's stop there. So here we have the anointing of Jesus prior to his triumphal entry. Now this is a different incident from this uh, than anointing by Mary, which is related also in. Matthew 26, 6 and Mark 14. Now we are told that she uses very expensive ointment. This very, this pure gnar. This was a very, a very highly, uh, a, just a very precious valuable and um, something that would have cost basically uh, an, an entire year's worth. A denarii was a a day's wage, and so 300 days' wages, so almost a year's worth of salary, would go into getting this kind of ointment. And so she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus, wipe his feet with her hair, right? Now, Judas goes, hey, 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 you know, this this is worth a lot. We We could have sold this and given money to the poor. He saw this as a waste of money. But in doing so, his remarks both show an inconsideration for Jesus and a cruelness towards Mary. His interest in the poor is artificial, though, we see. He doesn't really care about the poor. He just cares about his image and his own purse. And is this not still true today? How many people in their quote-unquote proclamation for the poor only use their platforms as an opportunity to grow their own purse, never actually caring for those they quote-unquote stand for? And so nevertheless, Jesus says, you leave her alone. And he defends Mary while hinting at the nearness of his death. And this becomes the pivotal point of God's redemptive work. And as he is going to die, it's important that there is no expense. That is all. That is too great for surrendering it all to Jesus, who is going to die in their place, in our place. He will make it clear, I will not always be with you. Yes, There will always be, poverty will always be in a fallen world. And together with the responsibilities of ministering the poor as an expression of God's love, we should should help them. Nevertheless, the opportunity of being present with Jesus and serving Him during His time on earth would not be repeated. It would never happen again. And so this is something that is far more of priority than anything Judas is trying to hint at. Now many crowds start to follow Him. we see... And instead of recognizing God's hand in Lazarus' resurrection, we see the chief priest, once again, starting to make plans to put Lazarus to death also. right? He said, I oh, don't want to kill Jesus. They want to kill Lazarus again. Think about the hardness of heart there. <laughs> Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and the only thing they want to do is kill him again. That ought to tell you how hard how hardened the hearts of these sinful men have become, which will be declared fully by the time this week comes to an end, when they Put Jesus to death. Verse 12, we see the powerful triumphal entry, this Palm Sunday that ushers in the Holy Week. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and said on it, just as it is written, fear not, O daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now among those who went up to the worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So here we see this picture of the triumphal entry, right? Where the the people grab the palm branches and shout to him, Hosanna, right? This salutation was borrowed from Psalm 118, which was an added reference to the king of Israel. It was a psalm of victory, where the people would, in in triumphant procession, follow the king who is coming in to declare, or who has already established victory, to sing him praises uh, for his conquest, for his victory on their behalf. Now Jesus goes and he gets on a young donkey, right? Sits on it, and does this in order to fulfill to fulfill Zechariah nine nine, a prophecy which is also noted in Matthew's. Uh, a version of the gospel here. And it was understood later on, we're told, after Jesus had been glorified, that is, after he was resurrected by the disciples, as they fully understood then what it was that Christ was doing in all of these actions, is that he was actually fulfilling Scripture every step of the way, when in the midst of the time, they couldn't see it. And, And isn't that so true, though? How often Jesus acts in our life And we miss the bigger picture until later on hindsight causes us to either find it in God's word or just do another event or just realize how incredible the things Jesus were doing actually was in the meantime. And that's a a picture of his glory there when we look back and we see the glorious realities that Jesus did or we, we see a nugget in scripture that connects with him that we've never seen before that demonstrates just how amazing uh, and, and how perfect he was in faithfully fulfilling everything required in order that we might be saved. Now we see here that there are some Greeks who seek Jesus. And this is a very ironic footnote to the statement of the Pharisees back in verse 19, right? You, that the, you, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world's gone after him, right? These Greeks were probably not Jews of the dispersion. Um, but rather they were probably proselytes, Jewish proselytes or Gentile god fears who participated in synagogue worship, but did not undergo circumcision and full reception into the Jewish religion. And I love what they say to Philip. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And if you're a pastor or minister who listens to this or someone who teaches Sunday school or does evangelism, at the end of the day, that's what people are there for. People need Jesus. They don't need you. You don't need to be special, wonderful, over the top, anything like that. Give them Jesus, sir. We wish to see Jesus. And Andrew and Philip brought Jesus to them. And that's what we do when we teach the Word. We bring Jesus to them through the Word. And he says something fascinating about the reality that his hour has come. In contrast to earlier statements that his time had not yet come, this is the first of a number of statements that Christ's death and resurrection are now at hand. The cross and the burial themselves are described elsewhere as his humiliation. And this humiliation is the way by which Christ the mediator, following, a day, following the days of his resurrection, must enter the glory of his ascension to the Father's hand. And he gives this little parable regarding a grain of wheat. He uses the growth of wheat from a seed as an explanation of his own worth. His death in a certain time and place will open the doors of salvation for people of every age and nation. Right, And he lays on this beautiful principle for his disciples to follow. Whoever loves his life, those who are absorbed by the interest of life on earth, will encounter ruin. They'll lose it, right? While those who are detached from worldly interest, those who hate their lives in this world, will, through Christ's work, attain it to eternal life. It is in the service of Christ and in the union with him that the truth of this statement is fully experienced. Jesus makes clear, though, now, that it is his time where he must be lifted up. Yet in the midst of that, the the, the anguish upon his human nature and the pain that will come, especially as he will have to drink the cup of the Father's wrath for those whom he dies for, begins to fully be felt. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from, uh, from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said that, that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast, will, will be cast out. And I, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him, so that the word of God spoken by the prophet Hosea might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what He had heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things, because he saw His glory and spoke of Him. Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him but for fear of the pharisees they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from god stop right there for now all right so jesus talks about the troubled nature of his soul and nevertheless he's basically like but this is the purpose i've come for this is exactly the reason that i've come for and so he prays to his father to glorify him, and the father speaks from heaven. I will, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, in three places of the gospels, the father speaks directly at his baptism, at his transfiguration, and here, and for the in all of this, we see is for the benefit of the disciples. The father places his seal approval upon everything that Jesus is doing. Now the crowd heard it, and they are really shocked by what it is that they have heard. I love that it is compared to thunder and such a powerful statement and connected with so many other important New Testament passages. And Jesus says, now this is the judgment of the world, right? By his coming death, Jesus will end the power of sin over Adam's race, judging and condemning it. And he, the ruler of the world will be cast out. That is, Satan has power, in fact, not by right. When God destroys Satan's power... He is not violating his rights or breaking any agreement made with him. He can punish Satan however he chooses and pleases. And he is just in doing so. Right? He then goes on to say, if he'll be lifted up, he'll draw all people to himself. As mediator, he will be lifted up. Not only on the cross by which he will die, but in the ascension to the right hand of the throne, where he will mediate his people day and night. And this will draw all people, namely it's not just Jews that Christ will save. He will save a multitude of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The cross exerts a universal attraction and people of all nationalities, Gentiles as well as Jews, will be saved through it. Praise be to God. He has drawn the nations to himself through the cross of Calvary. They understood this to be a reference to the hanging up of the crucifixion on the basis of scriptures. Psalm 89 especially but they could, not, they could not reconcile Christ's death because the Messiah is supposed to reign forever. So, so how is it that he's going to die? They, they can't grasp that. And from this point, many begin to reject him because of those realities. They, they don't understand and that all of this is merely happening. This unbelief has a purpose of revealing two things that the prophet Isaiah had spoken of regarding the unbelief of the people. Jesus' earthly ministry was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, which was largely one of judgment upon unbelieving Israel. His promise, his pronouncement that the judgment had been announced and come, is showing that really, in many ways, everything that they had been prepared for, they still rejected. They're still not believing. The nature of their sin is being exposed right before their eyes. He says, Isaiah spoke these things because he saw the glory and spoke of them. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But of the fierce Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Here they feared men. Right? They believed him. But because of the threat of excommunication or removal from the synagogue, they just stay on. Even though they know what is true. This is a great attack on integrity. When you know something is true and yet you reject it out of fear fear of what men might say, fear of losing your status or job. You simply shroud in the reality of of letting your fear overcome what is true. That is a great horror and wicked thing to do, to know what is true and to remain in silence out of fear of what men can do to you as opposed to he who can judge both body and soul and put both to eternal death. Verse forty four, and Jesus cried out and said, "Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees in me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I will not. I will have not spoken on my own authority." But the Father who sent me has given himself, and has given himself, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that His command commandments are is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father, that the Father has told me, the One, the Word, Lord. So here we go. Right, we've got this fascinating situation here where now Jesus once again makes kind of this final thrust to the world. Everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. They will follow my Father. Their light will pierce their darkness. They will know the fullness and the goodness of God. But everyone who doesn't stands judged. They stand condemned. The close relationship of Jesus with the Father is just in three respects here. To believe in Christ is to believe the Father. To see Christ is to see the Father, and to hear Christ is to hear the Father. On the other hand, rejection of Christ and His words is also rejection of the Father and His words. So if you, don't, if you won't have Christ, you can't have the Father. If you won't have the Son, you won't have the Father, and that's, a, that's clear. So anyone who wants to undermine Christ but still have a love, compassion, commitment to God the Father will find themselves utterly on the outside because there's only one way through the God the Father, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. He alone could save us. He alone could bring us through glory. Because of his faithfulness and the reality that even when it was sorrowful and tough, he persevered faithful to the end, going to the cross to die for sinners like you and me. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? And we will see each day throughout John how little by little he gets closer to the cross and through it closer to the crown. God bless.